Fat Force Radio. Fat Force Radio is rated M for mature. Or should that be immature? Hey guys, Dustin Wint. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. This is Paul Dini. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. You're listening to Bat Force Radio. This is Tom King. I write Batman Bitch. And this is Bat Force Radio. Welcome to Bat Force Radio. It is time to get your ass on the bus as we take another trip beyond Gotham City. Today's destination is Hell's Kitchen. Today's roundtable, we've got the Bat Force Times in New York and Legends of Lego Batman in California. Oh, cheers. And I'm Robin Cross in Canada. Okay, today's guest is an Eisner Award winner and a true triple threat as an acclaimed author and illustrator, as well as a Canadian. You know him from his work on books like Sex Criminals, Spectacular Spider-Man, and Howard the Duck, among others, Spider-Man Life Story, and we are now five issues deep on a particularly good run of Daredevil, the man without fear of trolling people on Twitter, Chip Zdarsky. Yes. I, I do love particularly good. I'm going to put that on the next trade. <laughs> that, that's what I was going for. I wanted to, uh, I thought, Kate, okay, trade cover quote. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to kiss my ass and say, very good. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. You, know, you got to set the tone. <laughs> but, uh, how's life been uh, recently? Oh, uh, not bad. Yeah, it's been super busy, uh, mostly because uh, I got a script in for Sex Criminals. And so every day is like, all right, seven hours of drawing before I can start writing. Now, which, uh, what's, uh, what's Matt Fractions? I've never spoken with Matt before. What's Matt Fractions' uh, style of scripting? Like, does he give you much direction in in uh, what he wants you to draw, or, or are you doing a lot of the direction? Um, no, no, he, he gives a fair amount of direction. Um, you know, this is getting technical, but uh, we were doing the book on uh, an eight panel grid. So it's super rigid. Like basically uh, um, I could, I can draw out all the panel boxes before I even start uh, drawing the book itself, just based on um, his indications in the script. So it's, it's super tight in terms of layout. Um, yeah. Yeah. But his scripts are pretty conversational. Like, uh, like this latest one, there's like almost two pages of text that precede everything else. Just him kind of telling me what's on his mind, what he's been thinking of, how that feeds into the script and him questioning himself and life. And uh, yeah, it's weird because like I learned to write comic scripts just from reading Matt scripts. Like I'd never really read a comic script before that. Um, so yeah, so I, I, my scripts are now kind of like fraction style scripts, which are usually pretty conversational with the artist. And that's not a, a bad thing to be uh, basing your style around. Yeah, I mean, ho hopefully. It's funny, like, uh, I, I started doing a project with Marvel that involves um, multiple writers, and so I'm, I'm getting to see how everyone else writes their scripts, and it's, it's super fascinating, uh, all the different ways that people tackle uh, this job. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. That's why I asked what uh, what Matt's kind of style was, because you hear uh, different, mu much different uh, descriptions of uh, how 
different author authors uh, sort of submit their their scripting. But uh, I wanted to ask. So you, you had a long history of things like writing for the Post for the National Post for a decade. But what led you to the road of getting into comics? Like what what was that inspiration or that that moment that that made you know you wanted to do this? Uh, I still haven't had it. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> no, the uh, you know I, I drew comics all through my youth, and um, I went to art school thinking you know maybe I could become a comic artist, and um, the school I went to kind of beat that out of me. Like they're very much like in the portfolio requirements to get in, it actually stated no comic pages. Oh wow! And no superheroes, no fantasy. Like hmm. uh, it was it was an illustration course. And their kind of ideal gig was doing illustrations for the New Yorker or, you know, uh, New York Times, Globe and Mail. Um, so, yeah, yeah. So I, I went to school for illustration, but uh, not really working on comics. Mm. When I ended up working for newspapers, I, I just kind of did my own comics on the side. Things for online or just like black and white self-published things. Um, and it was always a side gig and it was always going to be a side gig. And uh, when Matt and I started working on sex criminals, that was going to be like a massive side gig. Uh, but then it, it took off. So uh, I had to make the, the call to whether or not I was going to keep working for a newspaper or not. And, 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 uh, and then a call to the old art school to say, <laughs> well, it's funny. Things change, you know, like I graduated like 20 years ago. And now when I go back to my old art school and give lectures, like there are a lot of comic artists in those classes. And the school has recognized that, uh, you know, comic illustration uh, is on par with editorial illustration. So uh, like my alma mater, Jeff Lemire, went there and Ramon Perez and Kagan McLeod. And so uh, I, I think the school recognizes like, oh, hey, like those guys did OK for themselves. Like maybe we should focus on comics now. Yeah, not bad company there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it looks good for the school, too. So even though, you know, they tried to beat comics out of us, uh, now who's laughing? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, when we spoke, uh, this is sort of fast-forwarding through a lot of stuff, but uh, the last time we spoke, you were talking about your uh, how it, you came to Daredevil, like how you gave your pitch story at the, uh, at the Marvel Summit. Uh, do you uh, talk a, a little bit about that again? Yeah, I mean, when um, C.B. Sabalski took over as editor-in-chief, uh, one of the first things he did was he um, he talked to all the various writers that were on contract with Marvel, and he said, you know, just tell me what your dream book at Marvel is. Uh, he just wanted to know, just so he can keep that in mind in case those books came free. And uh, I had two titles, and the first, the, the number one was uh, Daredevil. Uh, which may have surprised him, I don't know. But um, when time came for Charles to wrap up his run, uh, I, I got the call. Like, do, do you want to do you want to pitch on Daredevil? And I'm like, oh God, yes. And so I knew they probably were expecting maybe something more along the lines of what Mark Wade did, uh, something with a bit of a lighter touch. Um, but I feel like it was time to kind of make him as dark as we could go with the character because I think that's the fascinating thing about um, the character in the title that you can kind of get away with doing a more realistic gritty uh, superhero tale in a universe that maybe doesn't 
uh, it doesn't jive with sometimes. And so, yeah, so I wrote up my pitch and, uh, uh, every three or four months, um, all the contract writers fly to New York for uh, a Marvel summit, Marvel retreat. And it's like three days kind of in a room where you, uh, all talk about stories and, uh, and events and things coming up. And, uh, and so, yeah, I had, it was my turn to pitch daredevil and, uh, I kind of had the sense just before I started that everyone was expecting kind of a jokey, fun time book. And, uh, and I, I, I think I pitched the hell out of it. Like I, I was serious, you know, serious tone, serious delivery. And, um, uh, and I, I could tell like people were a little surprised in the room, uh, what my plans were. And, uh, and when I was done pitching, it was like, then, then you get the feedback, but I'm pitching in front of like, Joe Casada and like Charles and and Mark Wade, like the people who like love the character and who have worked on the character and defined the character, and that was nerve wracking, like to to pitch to them. So a- after I pitched, like uh, the questions came, like a lot of people like questioning things that I had in my pitch, what I was doing, um, and it, it felt very much like the room was split between. Um, people who uh, maybe didn't like what I was planning and people who were really on board with it um, because it was kind of going a bit uh, um, kind of off the rails. So, yeah, so that was the pitch. And and, uh, I had to defend it in front of the room in front of the previous Daredevil writers. And uh, it seemed to work out because I could tell like after the pitch, um, especially a lot of the younger writers would come up to me and tell me like how much they, how much they liked it and uh, how they were excited to read it. So, uh, that felt good. It felt like I was on the kind of the right, uh, the right track. And yeah. And so far it seems to have gone well. Like, um, the issues kind of keep selling out and they keep going back for more printings and, um, people seem to be digging it. So, uh, yeah, I'm happy. I don't know if they'll stick around, but we'll see. I don't see any signs so far that, uh, that it, would uh, lean towards you not sticking around aside from enjoying it myself. I've looked at some of the other reviews that it's gotten online and they're all super positive reviews that I've seen. That's good. I haven't, (laughs) I haven't actually read the reviews. Um, I I try to stay away from those, (laughs) but, uh, but you can just get a sense like on Twitter when people are like tweeting at you um, when a new issue comes out and, uh, and, and Marvel lets me know that, you know, they're happy with the sales and things like that. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I when I started writing for Marvel, I started looking at reviews, and then you can kind of go a little crazy doing that. Yeah. Uh, like even sometimes the good reviews you get angry at because like <laughs> it might be it might be good, but they're not still not quite getting it, and you're just like, oh fuck! Like, <laughs> you know, even the even the good ones are giving me anxiety. Once you realize <laughs> that, then you have to stop uh, stop reading them. Even Twitter can be. Uh a bad place to look at feedback as well, because it's that kind of place where oftentimes the unhappy people are the loudest. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I think if it was a, a a bigger character, not that Daredevil's not a big character, but like, you know, if I was doing X-Men or amazing Spider-Man, then, you know, then you have to kind of like turn off your Twitter notifications. I think, um, (laughs) Uh, because <laughs> there's just like X Men especially because there's so many X Men characters, and not just that, but so many variations of those characters mm-hmm. that um, 
there's always a fan of one of them and they're just going to be furious that they're not in the X-Men book or that you're writing them in a way that doesn't match what's in their head. So um, Daredevil's a bit easier because I think a lot of people have an affinity for him as a kind of a darker character. So if you go dark, um, it's it's a little hard to lose people, I think. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I mean, we'll see. Like, uh, like I said, things kind of go off the rails. So, yeah, here's hoping. <laughs> So when you were sort of formulating what you wanted to do with uh, with your pitch, you know, for for your run, did you did the fact that you have you bring different things to the table than Charles does? Like Charles, obviously being a lawyer, like once Charles was on our show during his Daredevil run, he was literally he apologized to us for the noise of papers because he was literally working a case while he was. <laughs> so him coming from. The, from his law background that obviously is a big influence on how he's going to write a character who's a lawyer yeah but that you know you bring different uh definitely different uh qualities to the table were you well i'm was doing i'm i'm in my second year of law school right now just to just to get this right Man, that's a commitment right there. <laughs> oh, yeah. God, no. That would be amazing. Um, you really yeah, want to yeah. put those Twitter was, warriors in their place. <laughs> it was uh, that was one of the things like when I was taking it over, like knowing Charles's experience in law, like um, I kind of knew that I could not open with like a court case. Um, because there would be a lot of scrutiny over uh, how that works. Like I've got I've got some court stuff kind of planned, but uh, I kind of need a bit of lead time to set the tone for the book before I do it. Um, yeah, like it's, I mean, God, Charles was like born to write the book, right? Um, whereas I'm not, and so I, I had to kind of figure out where my strengths were um, in dealing with a character like this, and. You know, initially, you know, I, I did have the thought like, oh, maybe I should go fun. I should go light with it. But, um, yeah, it just didn't feel right. Uh, yeah, I don't even know what my strengths are <laughs> in relation to the book. Like, I think I just love the title so much. Mm. And I'm super interested in the psychoses of somebody who, you know, dresses up as the devil as a practicing Catholic and goes and beats people up while also being a lawyer. Hmm. Like there's a lot there. <laughs> um, yeah. That, yeah. That's an upside for that profession. You know, you know, for a guy who's a lawyer by day to do that by night, if I don't get you during the day, then I'm going to go get you after you walk out of here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, and if I make a mistake, they'll just forgive me when I confess. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I, I mean, I don't, I don't know what my skills are except for the fact that, like, uh, I, I love the character and I love the psychology of it. So, um, and I'm trying to treat this like a novel. Like every issue is like a chapter in a novel, mm. uh, and and I think getting into that mindset has has helped me a lot in terms of not worrying too much about hitting the beats that an issue is supposed to hit. Mm. Um, just and just hoping that the story is good enough that people will be like, oh. oh that chapter's over, and next month I'll pick up the next chapter. I'm just hoping we get a Daredevil action figure with that Punisher shirt. Mm. Oh yeah, that was such. A, that was like a last second call too. Like, I, I planned out that issue, and I was just like, I was like, well, you know, at the end he has to put on his shirt again because you know he was operating on. I'm like, well, wait, why would it be his shirt? 
and yeah and like marco you know had a, a previous run on punisher and like that was part of the reason why i had to do a punisher issue and uh seeing him draw daredevil with that punisher shirt was just fucking awesome he's so so good one one of my favorite parts of punisher's uh involvement in this uh, arc so far is there's been that recurring theme throughout you know some of the really famous daredevil runs of frank watching for that time where matt finally becomes him yeah and what you've given us in this is frank believing that he has now seen that happen yeah yeah it felt important just because like knowing where the story was going to go um to not kind of bring the punisher in would be such a waste and uh it was also kind of nice to get it out of the way too. Like I think every run has to have a, a good classic Daredevil Punisher, you know, moralizing moment, and uh, and getting it out of the way with issue four felt like, you know, kind of hit the ground running. Also, I, yeah, I've never really written the Punisher before. I wrote like a Howard the Duck backup that featured Punisher, which is not the same thing, and uh, and he's a he's a fun character to write. Like he's you know he's a he's a psychopath. And uh, did you watch the Netflix show at all? Uh, I watched season one. Um, it, it was really good. I just haven't gotten around to season two. But um, yeah, I was going to say, I, I uh, in my script, like I, I really enjoyed having him called Daredevil Phony. Hmm. Like he's uh, Holden Caulfield from Catcher in the Rye. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, it's such a weird character tick that I don't know why I, I love it so much. One of the things that, uh, that it led to, what we've left off, uh, currently we're at issue five, uh, just a few days away from issue six at the time we're recording this. So basically Daredevil has been told by everybody, you know, the, the defenders and most recently Spider-Man that, okay, this is it. You you can't do this anymore. Yeah. And what that led to was there was a real clickbaity article posted on Twitter today from one of the uh, news outlets. <clears throat> what I like about your social media presence is that you just called out this clickbait article and said, whoa, 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 no, this is hype. Don't, don't go for that. Yeah. I mean, it's not even the article. Like, um, it's funny when I, when I, you know, started working on the book and they had to solicit it, you know, I, I basically, I asked Marvel to, um, to not solicit it, like to basically just be like, here's, here's the cover, you know, this is part one. I did like a teaser image to give a sense of tone, but I, I didn't want to, I hate, I hate solicitations so much. Like you're either spoiling a thing or you're hyping a thing to the point where like nobody cares. Mm. Like I know retailers need them to order, but like, like how much do they need it? Like, you know, things will never be the same. Like, you know, and they roll their eyes and they add one more copy. Like I, I yeah, that, that, that kind of stuff drives me nuts. And, um, uh so so marvel you know kindly let me do the first three i think without uh solicitation text um and you know i I think we did well with that and um they started doing it again starting with issue four because you know punisher is going to be in it so we had to mention punisher to increase sales i guess Mm. but now like like uh like in in this case I, i can't fault the comic website for writing the article because the solicitation basically said there's a new daredevil in town and i'm like well no like <laughs> it's 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 one of those solicitations where i'm like well that's not really what happens um the people are gonna like 
pick it up thinking, well, you know, this is going to be like Jane Foster as Thor or whatever. And I'm like, well, that's not the story we're telling. Um, and so, like, yeah, I, I, I think the solicitation was frankly wrong. And, uh, and, and I can't blame the website for, for running with it because, you know, they've got to generate articles. But I always just want to make sure I set people's expectations as like, no, this is, this is, this is the thing you come in cold. Like you read the one before, then you read the next one, then you read the next one. Like, uh, and, and don't spoil it for yourself. Like I hate, I also hate the previews of the issues because the previews are like, mm. you know, five pages, four or five pages of an issue. And that's like 20% of the comic. Yeah. yeah. Like what's the point then? Mm. And, and also out of context. Yeah. Yeah. Out of context too. So like, you know, people are just like, well, I can't believe this is happening. I'm like, well, it's not. <laughs> Don't worry. Um, yeah, I mean, every every title is different. Like in Invaders, like I don't mind, you know, kind of spoiling things a bit, like because it's got a very different flavor to it. It's very much like superhero, big action stuff. But um, but we're, what we're going to be doing with Daredevil is like completely different. Mm-hmm. And uh, and yeah, I kind of want people to just be like to pick up issue six, especially, and be like, fuck, like what happens? Like after issue five, like it's a cliffhanger and. Uh, and uh, to see where Matt Murdock is, like, I, I enjoy people getting the surprise of it. Mm. I don't know, it's all tricky. You you need to sell the book, and I get that. You know, yeah. Marvel wants to sell the book. I want to sell the book, but I think if every book is using the same uh, formula and method to sell their books, then it's all just noise. Mm. Like, like if if I in my perfect world, Daredevil would just be. Daredevil issue six, this arc, chapter one, like that's all you'd get. Yeah, and the, the nature of putting out, you know, a, somewhat of a synopsis for, you know, so people know what they're ordering is that whatever they put in that little byline is going to turn into when websites report it, they're going to put it in their own words for yeah. a headline. So a new daredevil in, is in town turns into headlines that say Marvel will introduce a new daredevil. Yeah, it's all it, it's it's a very tricky thing, and uh, like I wasn't even going to give any interviews about Daredevil really because you know I I don't want to talk about the story that's coming up, and I kind of want people to read it and take what they want to take from it. Um, but but even still, it's like well you know I can I realize I can still do the interviews and not uh, give away anything. Um. Well, we could always uh, chip away at your um, process because you're one of the few who writes and draws. So when you're writing, do you visualize things more before scripting or, or and vice versa? Like when you're drawing, do you like script it down in your mind because you do both uh, things? Well, when I'm writing, I, I have a general – general visuals are in mind. Yeah. Um, just to make sure that what I'm asking is possible. Like, I think that's kind of an important step and a lot of writers don't have that uh, or don't think about that uh, too much. Like, you know, talking with other artists, especially uh, sometimes will be like, you know what, this, this person wants me to have like six people talking at once from this angle. Like it's impossible. Like, um, you know, just kind of basic stuff like that. Uh, When I started the first comic I wrote that somebody else drew was Howard the duck and Joe Canonis was drawing it. And um, because it was my first time doing that, I had a very clear image in mind of what it should look like. And then when the pages came back, they were nothing like it. Oh. And I, at first I freaked. I'm like, oh my God, like this isn't what I wanted. And then I kind of realized, oh, it's actually better. 
Mm. <laughs> like, <laughs> like you know, the angles he chose and, you know, the focus of the panels, like, it, it worked better. Um, so I, I had to, like, really kind of Adjust train myself it. to not think too much about it, but just enough to make sure it works. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as an artist, like, I've only ever, I guess twice like a you know on sex criminals with matt um and that took a little while to get used to um because i i would always want to do something different but because we we do it on such a a tight structure um uh it's limiting in in a in a way um and that kind of helped that i i i grew to enjoy the fact that there's limitations on the layouts on sex criminals because mm. it kind of forces me to work within uh specific panel shapes mm. um and the, the the only other thing that i drew that somebody else wrote mark wade wrote a um a captain marvel story in an avengers annual and i got to draw it and that was fun because it was the first time i actually got to uh design a page mm. uh, based on somebody else's writing and and Mark's been doing it long enough that like yeah, uh, there were no issues there. When you write, do you have a lot of like notes in terms of like angles or where pages or splash pages should be or whatnot, or do you like limit that a little more and, and trust your artist now a little more? Yeah, I think it depends on the artist. Yeah. Uh, uh, like as an example, like I'm doing a um, I'm doing a fantasy book that was announced today with Chris Anka and Matt Wilson for image um called the white trees and i worked with chris on star lord and chris is the perfect artist Hmm. like he like he's he's fast and he's solid and uh i don't think i've ever given him a note back on layouts um when when they come in like he he knows exactly how to structure a page and what angles work best um so with him i i I tend to give less notes about stuff like that just because i know he's got it um i find usually with the newer artists uh or younger artists and um i i get uh, a lot more specific in in my scripts and even then like I'll, i'll i'm probably a pain in the ass to work with and i totally get it like because my art notes back on layouts, especially, um, uh, it, it, it can sometimes be a lot. <laughs> um, so far, I haven't, ha- I haven't really had pushback on it. Like nobody's been like, "Well, you know, well, that's not that's not a correct thing that you just asked for." Um, and it might just be the, this type of artist I'm working with, but um, I, I also tend to change the scripts depending on um, if English is their uh, primary language. That's one thing I've I've noticed um, that sometimes uh, my floral writing style in describing a panel um, it can be uh, a hindrance or useless if somebody's having to translate the script. So uh, the language in the scripts will become a lot more uh, kind of basic and utilitarian. Hmm. Um, if I know there's like an ESL issue, because Marvel works with a lot of artists overseas. Um, so I just I'm conscious of that. Yeah, it's weird. Like every every project's different. I'm more descriptive in a Daredevil script, um, because uh, I think because Daredevil lends itself to more description because the character interacts with his environment in a very specific way. So I'll I'll describe kind of the look of like a a bookstore that Matt Murdock is walking through more so than I would if it was just Peter Parker walking through that bookstore. 
because he's taking it in in uh, in a variety of ways that are you know hypersensitive. It's a big deal that you're on this on this book now because you're coming, you know, because Charles had it for a while and then uh, you mm-hmm. know, the success of the uh, the Netflix series and whatnot and uh, there's, yeah. there's a new generation of fans actually of Daredevil, you know, and as well as yeah, the older totally. ones because he's a he's a very popular character and uh, you know it's they have to be very wary of um, how. Mad is placed in his environments and how he interacts with things because it's. I I think it could be easy to forget sometimes that he is blind, even though he is mm-hmm. hypersensitive to so many things. And yeah, it's just it's just one of those things that I guess somebody sometimes you just gotta be extra weary of. And uh, yeah, yeah, and it's uh, that's another thing. You know, I I try and do as much research as I can, mm-hmm. um, and 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 the artists do as well. And sometimes you know one of us will slip up and and, and miss a thing, and that's mm-hmm. unfortunate. But it's funny, Mark Wade actually called me out on something. <laughs> oh, uh, it, <laughs> and I, I'm glad he did, but it was like, it was like a scene of Daredevil like on a rooftop, and um, um, he's like, uh, his radar sense is sensing like uh, a kingpin in his mayoral office, and you know it's described in the radar vision, and um, Mark actually like you know took me aside, and he's like, hey, uh, you know I don't I don't mean to beat this guy, but like. Um, just so you know, his radar sense doesn't work through windows. Uh, like it's such a, it's a small thing, and like nobody else has, has called me out on it. But I'm like, oh shit! Like, of course just, it wouldn't. Like, you should just said uh, there are a lot of cracked windows in Hell's Kitchen or in New York City. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, counter. oh, the mayor had his w- window open. <laughs> his window open. That beautiful day. <laughs> He's uh, like cooling cool. a pie down on the windowsill. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One, one cool thing that you highlighted about his abilities, uh, I, I think it might have been in issue four or five. I don't recall seeing it ever sp- described this way before, but uh, when he's face down after a fight, he's face down, Matt's face down on the ground. In his sort of internal dialogue, he says that he doesn't have a natural front. So that you, know, when you're behind him, you might as well be standing right in front of him. Yeah, that's a, a cool aspect. I don't think I've seen it described that way before. Yeah, I feel like I pushed it a little bit with that description of natural front because uh, you know my assumption is he would still have a natural front, like he walks in a certain direction, like you know all of it, like his limbs all move, like his arms reach in front of him, like in in that sense, he still has a natural front. But like in terms of like how he takes in. Uh, takes in the city around him, like yeah, yeah. It would totally be like a three sixty thing. Yeah, like uh, like those Google cars that drive around with for the street. <laughs> yes, he's exactly like a Google car. <laughs> if a Google car I can also like sound that, really good, <laughs> like some of these Volvo cars that have that three sixty view with the rearview mirrors. Yeah, when you're yeah. driving, those, those are basically maybe, Daredevil maybe. cars. <laughs> <laughs> maybe uh, maybe in an upcoming issue we'll see Devil, Daredevil using some park assist. <laughs> maybe Chip will get a Volvo endorsement. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Get the big money. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned uh, when you pitched, uh, before you pitched for Daredevil, that he was one of your what, two or three characters at the top of your list. Yeah. Who else is on that list there, if you don't mind revealing? I'll never say. I mean, I'll I'll say if I get the title. Like, okay. I, I think one of the problems with answering questions like that is um, then the person working on the book currently 
gets um, nervous. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, oh man, this guy right. he's doing. Too well. Oh, he's gonna come take my job. Yeah, he's a book I'd like. I'd like Amazing Spider-Man, the one that Nick Spencer is currently working on. Like, we'll you know, see, we'll see like the headlines can... tomorrow. She <laughs> yeah. is the new writer of Squirrel Girl. <laughs> it's funny. The uh, I did a convention on the weekend with uh, Ed Brisson. And the question was asked, you know, what, what what character, you know, is your is the character you most want to work on? And Ed just kind of looked at me. He said, Daredevil. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, I would I would kill anyone to work on Daredevil. He just gave me that look. Like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> so he's got no problem doing that, but I have the problem. Well, we Canadians are polite. Yeah, exactly. Well, he's Canadian too. He's uh, like man. a weird, malevolent Canadian. I don't get it. <laughs> he's the one. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any ideas for longevity on Daredevil? How how long you would like to keep going if uh, if they allow you to to take it as far as you want? Um, yeah, I mean, I've got plans for three years worth at least. Um, wow. Uh, but but it entirely depends on um, uh, if Marvel wants me on it, how sales are doing. Um, um, artists, like you know, I've been really lucky with the artists that I've I've had on Daredevil so far, and if we can kind of maintain that, uh, then yeah, I'd want to keep working on it. Like I think the last thing I want to do is be like, you know what, I'm going to still keep writing this even though I don't like the art. Like I think yeah. that would be a huge mistake. But um, but right now with uh, Marco and Lalit coming on for issue six, um, yeah, it's in, it's in pretty good hands right now. So yeah, if we can maintain the quality, I think that's the big thing. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's the kind of it's the kind of title where you can kind of there's so much freedom on it. Like I think when you think of kind of the the Marvel titles, um, almost all of them touch another book in some way. Mm. Like, you know, I did Spectacular Spider-Man, and obviously, you know, Amazing Spider-Man. Um, I had to be very conscious of that. Um, you know, if you wanted to do Iron Man or Captain America, well, there's, they're in the Avengers. You know, any X book has to revolve around what's happening in X-Men. Um, but Daredevil is the superhero where uh, he's kind of left to his own devices. He doesn't belong in the X-Men, doesn't belong in the Avengers. Mm. Um, and he, the, the, the title's not big enough that there's, you know, high levels of scrutiny on it. Um, you know, if, if you want to like do something major with Spider-Man and Amazing Spider-Man, then you have to run it by a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, with Daredevil, you could kind of do what you want with the character for the most part, um, which is which is super liberating. So to have that opportunity on a character that's um, popular enough that you can kind of keep maintaining uh, reader interest based on the name of the character, but also. Um, not popular enough that uh, you know you have guys in suits telling you um, well, what the character has to do or, or can't do. Uh, yeah, that's that's an exciting proposition, and so yeah, I, I want to keep doing it until until something runs out. You know. Hmm. Well, you found uh, a smart way of doing that with Spider-Man as well, having that you know it it doesn't matter what is going on in other titles with life story being that yeah. it's going this decade by decade thing. That's a, a, a smart way of also not having to worry about stepping on toes. Uh, yeah. Was that your concept or was that something that, that they came to you with? 
Um, it was my concept, but I think it's the kind of concept that I think everyone kind of kicks around at one point or another. Um, like I didn't even think about it, but I know John Byrne did Generations, uh, what, like two decades ago or something like that, where Superman and Batman, like the Golden Age versions, kind of aging in real time. Um, I pitched it as like a Marvel Universe book. Like I kind of wanted to do a big like twelve issue kind of maxi series, um, detailing the Marvel Universe throughout the decades. But uh, the editor, it ended up with Tom Brevoort, wisely uh, talked me off that ledge because he's like, you can't, you know, like you're not going to be telling a story then. Like there's too many characters, there's too many situations. Like it would just be like, and this happened, and this happened, this happened. So he suggested um, narrowing it down to Spider-Man. Uh, considering I just came off a Spider-Man book, so people, you know, still wanted to see me write Spider-Man. Um, and I think it, uh, Tom Tom had been batting around doing something like this for a long time as well, so it uh, worked out really well. Though it's funny, like, uh, originally, like, the title he came up with, and the title I loved uh, the most, was Marvel Age, which is so great. Like, yeah, they age. It's Marvel Age. It's yeah. perfect, um, but but uh, the sales department didn't go for it, and we end up with life story. But yeah, he, oh. he had he had the title like in his brain for years, I think. And so when I came along, he was like, "All right, yeah, this this is a sign. We should do this." And it, it just kind of fell right now because um, if you age Peter Parker up until current day, he's like in his seventies, which is like a full life. Um, so to to do it now made kind of the most sense. If we waited another couple decades, and like ninety might be a less interesting comic. We mentioned the uh, the influx of new fans that are still coming to Daredevil because of the the recent Netflix series, but yeah. that's even more so uh, a thing with Spider Man right now, given the new Spider Man actor having been in Infinity War, Endgame, everything, yeah. and into the Spider Verse uh, still being recent. So that's another one that there's a huge I, influx. I and, suppose, but Spider-Man um, never really goes away. Like, there's a yeah. Spider-Man movie every year or two yeah. since, yeah. Uh, since you know, when, when was the first Sam Raimi one? Like, and even before that, like, there were always cartoons about him. Like, Daredevil was never a thing, really. Like, mm. besides showing up in that Incredible Hulk made-for-TV movie, yeah. um, which excited the hell out of me as a kid, but... Mm. Uh, there's really no instance of Daredevil after that. There's no big video games with them, and there's no movies or TV shows until the Netflix show. Mm-hmm. Um, so you really notice it with that. Like I don't think you notice as much as Spider-Man. Um, but uh, but yeah, the Netflix fans are definitely coming to the comic now. Mm. It's a, yeah, it's so interesting about how isolated and how the Daredevil universe even punishes like its its own thing. And I saw this hilarious video edit today of. Um, all of the uh, Marvel characters coming through the portals in Endgame, and then they sl- uh, go over to the elevator surveillance footage of um, Daredevil and uh, Jessica <laughs> Jones. They're all stuck in the elevator, and it says, yeah. waiting for their portal to open. And then more, yeah. more portals are opening, <laughs> and then they're just still trying to get out and shit. So, yeah. It is a yeah, they're self-contained universe. But I love it because it's... Uh, it's gritty. It's like the Daredevil universe. It's like the the Gotham of Marvel in a way, you know? It's like yeah. uh, it's like when you see like Cap in Brooklyn or, you know, Spider-Man in Queens or whatever. It's gritty, but it still has that uppity, colorful Marvel feel. But when you see Daredevil, you get that grit, man. You get that dark grit. Yeah. So I mean, Hell's, with, you know. 
Hell's Kitchen is basically fictional now. Like the real Hell's Kitchen in New York is no longer. Well, it's not like the Westies or anything anymore. Yeah, this no, is... exactly. Like when when Frank Miller was doing Daredevil, like okay, yeah, like there were elements of that yeah. in reality. So Hell's Kitchen kind of made sense that this guy would be patrolling crime in that neighborhood. Now it doesn't make any sense. So Hell's Kitchen as a concept is kind of like Gotham now. You know, it's 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 kind of a, it's like a fake mini city within the Marvel New York, which is is really interesting. Like I know that the Netflix show handled it really well by making it as a result of the fallout of the, uh, you know, the the Avengers battle in New York. But um, but yeah, there's no real proper explanation in, in Marvel comics as to why Hell's Kitchen is still still just like downtrodden and crime filled and dark <laughs> with water. Towers everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, the one place in America that hasn't been gentrified. Well, yeah, yeah. We, we still have that um, that glo- that aluminum, that cross, that strobe cross, right, Gramps? We came across it that day. No pun intended. No. Yes, sir. I thought of this on the drive home today. Um, what would you tell your high school self if you could? Oh. God, everything I just went to is sexual. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, man, that's a that's a tough one. You know, like this is like therapy right now. Um, I would obviously warn him about nine eleven. Um, but besides that, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a weird thing. Like every once in a while, I I I, I realize I'm writing the comic books that I read as a kid and how cool that is. And I often think, you know, Oh, if I could tell, you know, my youthful self, but if I told myself in high school that I was like, you know, writing Spider-Man books, whatever, he'd be like, Oh, you couldn't get into vertigo. (laughs) (laughs) As he he dangles his onk necklace and his black trench coat. and. (laughs) (laughs) He he might be really disappointed in me. I have no idea. (laughs) Did we go to high school together? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. And um, so, which do you prefer, New York style pizza or Chicago deep dish? Um, I've only had Chicago deep dish once, and it was at a Wizard World convention in 2003. And we ordered it to our hotel room, which was on the outskirts of the city near the airport. And so it took way too long to get to us. So by the time it got to us, it was like cold. Oh, and there was literally nothing worse than cold, deep dish Chicago pizza. It's like a brick. It's like a brick. Yeah. Yeah. It's, just, it's like just ordering cheese. Like, like you pick up the phone. Yeah. I'd like, Johnny, up a of cheese, please. It, yeah. If it could be like lukewarm, that'd be amazing. Um, so I still have yet to have proper Chicago deep dish. So it's New York by default. Well, that's a good answer. Thanks. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you some more um, Matt Murdock type questions. Yeah. Um, if you could close your eyes and just, you know, you are the voice of Matt Murdock right now. Mm. If you could close your eyes and speak as Matt Murdock, could you answer this question? All right. How much do you miss Karen Page? How dare you? (laughs) (laughs) That that would be his answer. 
Okay. That would be his answer. How dare you? <laughs> How dare devil you? Yeah. I'll take that. I'll take that. Um, what's your favorite type of cookie? Oh, man. This is a harder question than the uh, the high school one. <laughs> uh, yeah, we ask tough questions here. Yeah, we go for the... We're real journalists. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, there's a there's a, a a place in town, uh, Gourmand, that makes these chocolate chip cookies that are just like the most delicious things I've ever had. Sounds good. It's such a basic answer, but oh, uh, well, yeah. No, no, it's actually a lead-in question because um, we we do this little tradition where we ask our guests, you know, these lightning round questions, and then you get to ask one for the next guest. And our previous guest asked, "What is your favorite chip? Chocolate?" Or potato. Whoa, um, it would be potato. Potato chips. Yeah, yeah. Because because first of all, chocolate chip—that's one thing. Potato chip. There are many potato chips. Mm. So it's kind of like wishing for more wishes, you know. Go on. What? What's? What's? And what? In, in, in flavor. In, in Prince Edward Island, there's a there's a thing called cow chips, Ooh. which sounds horrible. But it's chocolate covered potato chips. Oh, oh I'm in hybrid. I'm in Texas and cow chips are shit. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> well, I know, I know. Yeah, that's why it doesn't sound good. But so so really by saying chips, I'm also getting chocolate because I can I can now have uh, chocolate covered chips. So. Let the chips fall in yeah. May, bro. Just uh, just to uh, a special note, that hard hitting question came from Mitch Garrett. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he he thought all day about that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so do I have to ask a question to the next person? Yeah. What what is your what is your question for the next person? And now I'll advise you uh, if all goes to plan, your question will be for Doc Shaner. All right. What's the best thing about Chip Zdarsky? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I've got one other. I like to ask, what's the what's the best advice you've been given, and who gave it to you? Ooh, geez, Um, I'm just kind of going through everything in my head. These are tricky. You should give them to me in advance. I'd be much smarter sounding right now. Okay, well, this isn't uh, back in back in uh, college. Um, I had a, a teacher for a year, and he taught like a technical illustration class. And uh, I remember the one thing he said to me that stuck with me was, um, uh, he said, when you wake up in the morning, you have to want to go to work. And at the end of your workday, you have to want to go home. Basically, you, you need a job that you enjoy doing, but your home life has to be uh, good enough that you miss it and you want to go home at the end of the day, which is very basic. Um but it, it's true. Like, I think a lot of people kind of miss out that balance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, I try to try to stick to that. Hmm. Uh, I will say this is not a quote that was given to me um, or advice given to me. But um, in my studio, I have one motivational poster, which is just a piece of paper that I printed this phrase out on and I put it in front of my desk. And it's um, it just says nothing gets done if you don't fucking do it. It's <laughs> that that could be one of the cat posters. Yeah, yeah, it could be, but like it's it's a picture of a cat not doing anything. It's 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 very simple, and it's just like 
Oh yeah. And then I always forget that. Like during the day, you know, I'll be like just taking too long on a page and I'll look at some YouTube videos and I'll go back and draw a panel or something. I'm like, uh I'm like, well it's gotta get done. Mm-hmm. It's just not gonna get done unless I do it. So <laughs> if I do it, it's done. Oh. It's it's a very basic way of looking at work, but uh I think a lot of people actually forget that as they kind of procrastinate and put stuff off. Mm. Well, uh, Gramps keeps uh, Gramps keeps a sign up in his house that says it's not going to suck itself. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's another way of putting it. That's another way of putting it. Uh, I mean that is true. But I'm, but I'm but I'm proposing, gentlemen. What if it could? Oh, oh, maybe world peace, baby. World peace. Let's get our top scientists on it. <laughs> Tell your high school for that. Don't worry. One day, one day it will. It'll suck itself. <laughs> if you could have dinner with one person who's lived in, throughout history, dead or alive, any human being who's lived, who would it be? Hmm. Jeez, that's another one. Um. Yeah, that's weird. Uh, Jack Kirby, I guess. Oh, nice. That's cool. Yeah, but like Jack Kirby, like it would have to be Jack Kirby. Younger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not not towards the end of his life, but maybe like when he was working on New Gods. Oh wow. Um, mm. Just so you'd have enough stories yeah. of Marvel. Yeah. But also all the crazy shit he was doing at DC as well, mm. and some and some war stories thrown in for good measure. That's the king. And uh, yeah. plain or peanut M and M's. I'm gonna go with plain. plain. Oh. Sometimes the peanut, you by then you're like, oh no, that was a bad one. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> that was, <laughs> little, like it never, never happens with the chocolate those ones. Weird. Um, yeah. And the last one I got is if you could have one superpower, what would it be? Well, it's funny, you know, sex criminals revolves around the idea that the characters, when they have sex, time stops and then they go and rob banks. And uh, honestly, time stopping would be fucking amazing. So mm. I could just get all my work done. <laughs> it's the saddest. Like nine out of ten guess. Yeah, that's yeah, a it's like the saddest. It's the saddest response. Like <laughs> any of us that give that response need to really reevaluate their lives. Probably. Yeah, you could tell the deadliners <laughs> with those responses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But, uh, now, since you brought up uh, Kirby and the New Gods stuff, uh, and obviously we are for the most part uh, a, a batman show how dare you <laughs> yeah, i i know uh if you uh could work on any dc character who would that be well again it's that tricky thing you don't want to take a book from somebody <laughs> um yeah i don't know like i well here's one that's not happening right now so i i'd pick it um i was a huge fan of justice league international oh okay. Uh, oh yeah, and Keith Giffen and Kevin McGuire, mm. Adam Hughes, like that. That that's my jam. Like I love that book more than anything. Um, it's the only DC comic that I collected to completion. Like where I have, all, where I had all of it at some point. Um, yeah, I I loved it. It was the perfect blend of like humor and seriousness and uh, action. Um, it's to me, it's the platonic ideal of a superhero comic. Mm. Uh, our uh, our friend uh, Dustin Nguyen has been dying for years to draw a Batman Daredevil crossover. Oh yeah, so that would be super cool. Stuff. Yeah, the two you guys could uh, get that rock, and that would be cool. Well, he got the perfect guy right now, like Bendis. Like, yeah, like he redefined Daredevil, and now he's over at DC. Like, 
It's so- I would I would I would gladly step aside to see Bendis do a Batman Daredevil book. Wow. I mean, I I I love Batman. Like, uh, I I wrote one thing for DC uh, a couple years ago. It was like a Harley Quinn eight pager. Uh, Joe Canonis drew and and just knowing it was my only shot doing a DC thing, I threw Batman, Robin, and Joker in there because just to say that I, I wrote Batman once. That was uh, yeah, twenty fifth anniversary book, I think, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would, I would, I would kill to to do a Batman Daredevil book, mm-hmm. um, but I would also just happily let uh, Bendis do it because then I could enjoy it as a reader. Mm-hmm. Well, if it still works out when they do crossovers, it's like you know, oh. One company does their version, the other company does another. I guess it would be yeah. Bendis on that side and you on this side. So that would be uh, yeah, yeah, that'd be fun. That'd be awesome if if the big two would just get along a little better, like they used to. Then maybe well, uh, you know. they're no longer the big two. That's the problem. Mm. Yeah, that's true. You know, it's it's Warner Brothers and Disney, mm. which is which the is really the really big, big two. <laughs> yeah, the really big two. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's sort of like Disney is the big one, and then there's everybody else mm. as yeah. they buy everything and it's true i i can't even imagine the legal paperwork that would be required between those two companies just to put out a couple of comics like featuring each other's characters it's so it's so ridiculous it was like that toy company NECA was doing the batman alien a batman predator two-pack action figure sets based on the crossover comic books and then disney bought fox and it was like licensing hell like jeez all the the paperwork and complications and sh- oh, it's just oh yeah, it's a nightmare, yeah. Man. <laughs> like yeah, yeah, we just want our toys. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, it's uh, it's the world we live in, though. Yeah, but um, man, Chip, we just want to thank you so much for your time. Awesome to hear, you know, yeah. your insight in terms of what you're doing with Daredevil and everything else, and uh, you know, best of luck to everything else you got going on coming forward in the future, man. We look forward to it. We really, yeah. Do. Thanks for having me, guys. Hey Gotham Dwellers, make sure to stop everything right now and subscribe to Bat Force Radio. We can be found on iTunes and SoundCloud. Don't miss out. Guaranteed to satisfy all of your Batman and DC needs.